Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, we did talk to you, but we had a caller on actually was talking about the fact that she was addicted to sulfadine. Well, Ireland is on the verge of what they call a codeine addiction epidemic with patients codeine shopping. I'm sure you've never heard of that before, but it is a thing between pharmacies, making it difficult to monitor the usage, of course. And a paper in the Irish Medical Journal warns that it can be tricky for pharmacists to spot unsuitable codeine sales when patients give the, well constructed incredible explanations regarding pain and when there are no obvious signs of misuse. Now, the paper's author, M. O'Donnell, a medical student at the University of Limerick and practising community pharmacist, says without medical supervision, a large proportion of the population is self-medicating with codeine and many have unknowingly developed an addiction. Ms. O'Donnell also says that codeine is an addiction often hidden under the guise of pain management that goes unaddressed by both doctor and patient. And under Irish law, it can be bought over the counter under supervision of a pharmacist, but many pharmacists point out that it may be difficult to monitor a particular patient if they are codeine shopping, which is simply travelling from one chemist to the other to get more than your fair share, so to speak. So how do we tackle the problem? Well, one doctor, Dr. Austin O'Carroll, believes making it prescription only would be a start, and he joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Austin. Good afternoon, Anne. How are you doing? Good it's coincidence, to... actually. We only, we only talked to uh, two people on the air there in a row about three or four weeks ago there, and both of them admitted that they were addicted to sulfadine and taken about you know 10 or 20 of these per day. Yeah, no, I, 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 th- I actually think it's not necessarily an ep- epidemic. I think this has been going on for a long time, mm-hmm. and there's been a number of people who've been doing it. And it's just it's starting to emerge now that people have been doing it. Uh, but I've seen some people. I mean, ten, twenty. I've actually saw someone take a lot more, up to forty or fifty in a day. Wow, wow! And I actually, very sadly, quite a long time ago, knew someone who sadly died. So, uh, what, what the damage that codeine can do to your system? I'm assuming it's liver damage that it that it will eventually do to your system. Well, there's, no, there's two things. The codeine is, just, is addictive. Of course. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so and obviously if you take enough codeine, but you have to take an awful lot of codeine, you can overdose. The real problem is that when you're selling salpidine, it's actually paracetamol and codeine. And paracetamol is extremely dangerous. And you're only supposed to take um, around eight a day uh, because if you, go, if you take too much paracetamol, you end up causing damage to your liver. And the problem about taking it is you don't actually realize you're damaging your liver until it's way too late. So often the effects of the damage don't emerge until the, you know, the liver has been destroyed. Um, and so, you know, paracetamol overdosing is one of the most dangerous types of overdose you can actually have. I mean, that is a problem as well. I, I, I'm going to come back to the codeine in a second. But in relation to paracetamol in itself... People, you know, take them like they're smarties. You know, I mean, just the first signs. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're there for a purpose if you have a bad headache or whatever it happens to yeah. be. But people take that the first signs of a headache, which is not really probably necessary. Well, I mean, I, I don't think you should jump to a tablet anyway. But to be fair, paracetamol is safe if you take it within the limits of the mm-hmm. dosage, which is uh, two every four to six hours, maximum of eight a day. Mm-hmm. When you take them beyond that, then you're getting into dangerous territory. When you take the, the amount that some of these people who are taking salpidine, because they're looking for the codeine effect, but they unfortunately are taking the paracetamol at the same time, and that's the dangerous part. Now, there is also Nurofen Plus, uh, which is codeine with ibuprofen. And again, um, ibuprofen can cause significant damage like ulcers or inflammation of the stomach. I mean, it's only recently we had conversations in relation to the cost factor involved in medications in this country, say, in comparison to Northern Ireland, where you can buy, you know, tablets for 40 or 50 pence in Asda, whereas down here you're paying four or five euro for the same thing. 
And the fear is that if you make it prescription only, of course, then what happens is that cost factor goes up for those who maybe don't have a medical card. Uh, is that going to be a problem or do you see that as being a problem? Well, I, I do accept that that is an issue. Um, but at the same time, for example, if someone wants to get a, a Salpidin uh, prescription, if they come into a doctor and the doctor does a, che- a check with them just to see that it's appropriate prescription, you can give a, a repeat prescription for up to a year where I can give that they're allowed to have 24 code, uh, you know, 24 Salpidin per month, for example, mm-hmm. um, um, or 32 per month uh, that I know that they're using. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're going off getting so many in one pharmacy and another pharmacy and other pharmacies. They're, you're effectively limiting the amount they have. But I'm giving them a one-year prescription so they don't have to go back every month for a new prescription. Um, yes, because I'm not familiar with how prescriptions work, but I assume once you hand your prescription into one chemist, that's linked to a database. So any, any other chemist that you go to will see that on a database. And, and in other words, you can't be overprescribed. No, that's not true. That's one of the problems. In oh, is it? I, the, I, I just assumed that was the case. No, that's the problem, is that a chemist doesn't know if someone other pharmacy has, but the pharmacy doesn't know if another pharmacy has prescribed it. There are other countries, um, not many, but there's places, for example, in parts of Scotland, where you have what's called a unique patient. Every patient has a patient identifier. That means when they go into their pharmacy, the pharmacist can see what's been prescribed elsewhere, including in hospitals and the GP. And likewise, the GP can see what the pharmacy has done at the hospital. And so, so well, then... Pardon my ignorance, what's to stop me going into you, getting prescribed, you know, 32 salvadine a month, handing in my prescription in one chemist, getting myself in, and not having the prescription put on file, and taking the prescription off with me and going into another chemist and using the same prescription again? Can I do that? Is that possible? You can do that. Obviously, at the moment, it's easier because you can just go from pharmacy to pharmacy without, you don't need a prescription. Uh, the prescription puts an extra barrier in, but it doesn't limit someone going to multiple doctors. Uh, and getting prescriptions. Mm-hmm. If they're on the medical card, obviously they can only go to the doctor who is attached to their medical card. So that does limit them unless they go privately to another doctor and pay money. Okay. I think Salvadine is a big problem in this country. And I know many people, well, I don't know many people, but I know some people. And I used to work with a chap years ago who used to constantly drink Salvadine all day. And yeah. he didn't have a headache or anything wrong with him. He just drank yeah. it because he was addicted to it. Yeah. Uh, and so much so that his parents, actually, he worked with me, his parents rang me and asked me for some help to try and, you know, talk to him about it and what have you. And it really is difficult because they don't see it as the same type of addiction as, say, heroin or cocaine or any other Class A drug. The only difference is, of course, it's legal. So they, they don't see it like that, sure they don't. No, they don't. And I guess the, the, the irony is that codeine is an opiate. It's the exact same as heroin are... are um, um, our other opiates um, things. So it's in the exact same class of drug, but just because it's seen as a benign, you know, we perceive it as benign, which it's not. Um, and uh, so you're right, it's seen as, oh, it's, it's sort of, yeah, they don't see it in the same terms of I'm not, and I don't, I don't like using this term, but concept of junkie, which yeah. I think is, you know, it's a bad term anyway, I don't like it, but they, they distinguish between that group of addiction and osalpatine is not in that, which it is. Yeah, it's, and, it's and no in relation to coming off codeine, if you find that you've, like our caller that was on two weeks ago, uh, she was addicted to codeine, codeine, is coming off that equally as difficult as, say, coming off cigarettes or coming off alcohol or coming off uh, any other drug for that matter? Oh, no, you definitely, you'll get, you'll get withdrawal effects, physical withdrawal effects. And I've seen, and I've seen, I mean, I've worked with people to help them come off codeine and they find it extremely difficult. Um, when people are, you know, taking excess levels, we usually have to try and convert them over to methadone to get them off codeine. So they go on a methadone program to get off codeine? Yeah, because in, in, in terms of 
The problem is if you give coding to someone who's on um, to who you know to try and help them come off of coding. The problem is if they take the coding you're giving them, but then go out and go to the pharmacy and take up more coding. I don't know because I can't monitor it with blood tests or urine tests to see are they taking any drugs on top of what I'm giving. So that's why we have to use methadone because that allows us to know. Oh, I, did, I didn't think it was that serious of a problem or that difficult oh. to get off it. I mean, okay, I've so treated several people with methadone for this. Now, you, yeah. you have to come off the methadone once they've stabilized. So of they don't use methadone long term, but I've, I've used it many times. You, you obviously reduce the doses of the methadone over a short period of time and, and get them eventually off it. If you were advising people listening, because we got a great response to it when we spoke about it the last time a couple of weeks ago, and so many people who didn't want to come on the air out of sheer embarrassment. Um, yeah. If you were advising people listening right now, there's so many people across the country who don't believe they're doing too much harm to themselves by by taking 10 or 20 uh, sulfadine a day and doing this codeine shopping as they call it which is going from one pharmacy to the next How, what's the first step you would say to them to get off or to, to stop doing it well, first of all I'd, I'd advise them to contend their GP because they need to get checked out they need to have their liver function checked and test it just to make sure they haven't caused any damage. Secondly, they need to realize this is a serious problem. You can't be doing damage to your liver. And thirdly, you need to reduce it. Now, your GP will help you advise you on this, but it's very simple. I mean, people who are on large amounts, you know, can go on methadone, but on smaller amounts, it's just a question of reducing every three to four days by one tablet Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, gradually reducing yourself down. I would advise, though, to go to a GP to get advice on this. I'm just looking at a text here that just as we're speaking and it says my husband passed away a few months ago at the early age of 53 as a result of misuse of Neurofem Plus. He had no problem buying them in copious amounts even though the sale of them uh, should have been refused by the pharmacist. He used them regularly. I appreciate he would have got them uh, regardless as he was addicted to them uh, but there needs to be more stringent controls need to be in place for the sale of these drugs. And that, that's somebody who actually died. That's terrible. No, that's, terrible. I mean, that's really sad to hear and particularly at such a young age. Mm. Um, and I mean, I've seen someone who passed away again at a young age. They shouldn't have died mm. uh, due to uh, paracetamol overdosage, due to a coded addiction they were taking. Yeah, wow. Wow. I didn't think it was that serious. I think everybody's opened their eyes today listening to what you have to say about it. And I don't think anybody would disagree with the idea that anything or any step to make it a little bit more difficult to become addicted, mm-hmm. as long as we don't make it too much more difficult for people who genuinely need them for whatever purpose. But uh, certainly to become addicted is a good step in the right direction, isn't it? Absolutely. My sympathies to that person who's lost her husband. It's very sad. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you joining us today, Dr. Austin Carroll. Thank you very much indeed. No, thanks very much. Good oh. talking to you. Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Oh.